I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. Welcome to Fever FM. I'm joined by regulars Dale, Tracy and Cam. How are we doing, people? Yeah, we're all good. Thanks, mate. How are you? Thanks for the thumbs up, Trace. Appreciate that. It's great audio. Leave me alone. I'm still on holiday mode. Okay. <laughs> Someone who isn't on holiday, however, is our special guest, Wellington Phoenix CEO, David Dome. Welcome to the pod. New pod. Brand new. Yeah, yeah. Kia ora all. How are we going? We are yeah, fine. Well, yeah, well. So this is—is is this officially pod number two, or are you rolling on from the last one? We That's number four. four. Yeah, because you had the in the zone. You were on the in the zone a couple of few times as well. No, that's what I mean. Are you rolling on from in the zone? Do you count those, or is this? No, Phoenix starting? City would be number three. Apparently, there was an iteration before in the zone as well. Uh, although I never listened to that one. Um, it's po- uh, it's Piney's uh, football fever, I think it was. Oh yeah, yeah. That was oh, very irregular. That was like every six months. That one. Yeah, that's right. So that's a version four, man. Yep. It doesn't count Very unless good. you've won an award, though. <laughs> well, of how many head on? Oh. oh. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I don't know how you follow that up. Um, so, uh, Domi, new season, back yeah. in the hometown. Oh, yeah, thank God, huh? I I, don't, I honestly don't think we could have done another season away. I just think it would have been too much for everybody, not just financially, but just in terms of, you know, having to manage it and, and, and the day-to-day struggles of trying to manage something from a different country. It was just tough. It was just hard on everybody. Um, but we've come through that now, and, and now we're back home, and it's looking like it's going to be, of course, we come through the whole COVID thing. I can't see that coming back. Touch wood, right? And there's a whole season at home and, and a professional women's team added into the mix as well. So no, we're amped. Like, we're seriously excited about it. Um, I look at the players that Ufi's recruited and, and the preseason, and I think we've got a lot of a lot of confidence in it and a lot of reasons to be excited. You you kind of touched on the uh, the behind the scenes stuff. How tough was it going being in the office over the last two years? Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I think we were a bit like the fans. We just felt disconnected from the team. I, I only, I didn't go to Australia last season, but the previous season I went over for a couple of months and based myself in Wollongong. I lived in a, essentially a student dorm um, because you know that was probably the, the most affordable accommodation for any length of time. Um, the Green Acres were in the same building with me, and now Luffy was a different part of town. Um, but you know, the last season it felt very disconnected. You know, the, the women were in a different, you know, back in Wollongong. The men were in Sydney, and it just felt like it was just hard to do anything. I mean, I, I you know, the, the results were still great in terms of what they managed to achieve. And if you look at some of the, you know, our colleagues and other codes managed to achieve, we're, you know, who have also had to do the whole transnational thing, we were right in the mix in the finals. You know, we went out, you know, had a good solid season. Went out to the eventual winners in the finals, you know, only by, by a solitary goal. Um, you know, they performed really, really well. The women performed really well, given they had essentially like a four to six week build into the season. Um, won a few games, you know, could have gone a few better. I don't think they were a bottom of the table team, and that's amazing given where they came from. Um, but the, the whole way through those seasons, it was, you know, we. We couldn't get things going with the players. It was hard to do. We couldn't do any community stuff, obviously. It was just pointless. Hard to do any marketing. We were 
I remember there was one game, it was the game at uh, Cronulla at Shark Park. Uh, we literally didn't have a venue on the Friday before we played that game on, I think it was either Saturday or the Sunday. It was just, we. it was literally week to week trying to find venues to play it. It was, and it was a nightmare. It was impossible. Um, but yeah, it was just not something you wanted, you wanted to, to go through again. Well, hopefully it doesn't happen again. Um, you, obviously, we're talking on, on uh, venues. You've got the new digs out at uh, Upper Hut now. The team's been out there for a week now, is it? Yeah, yeah, football lots have gone. We go out, uh, we're moving this week and go out on officially from Monday onwards. Uh, but, you know, super excited. You know, uh, some of you guys, might, I think, may have been out there. It's unbelievable. The facility is, like, literally, I don't want to overstate it, but it literally is world-class. There are, there are, we have access to um, technology that doesn't exist in some English Premier League clubs. It is incredible. And it's the sort of thing that, to be honest, you actually need that sort of thing now to, to be competitive with other teams. So I know that Gilly's used it in his recruitment of players. You, know, you come here and you look at this facility, this is what you get if you come here and, and sign with the Wellington Phoenix. And I was having a, a chat to Costa. They had a pre-season game against uh, NCR out there. Uh, on Sunday and had a chat to Costa after just you know check in and a few of the other players but I said to Costa you know what do you think about it? he said this is unbelievable there's nothing like this in the A-League anywhere in amongst the other clubs and, and the conversation we had with him was this you know for a player like Costa who's in his early 30s this could extend his career this kind of a facility because it has all of the recovery it has all of the all of the um, best in sports science and it could very well be that he could play an extra season, two seasons, three seasons. Who knows? Because of that, of the technology that is available out there. We heard a, a little bit last week from Ophi about what it meant for on, the, on the football side of it. Is there anything? Does it bring anything for you guys in, on the backroom staff? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it a game changer for you guys as well? Well, I think one of the major issues we've always had is there's been a disconnect between football ops and management because we've always been on a different side of town. Football ops has been either at Newtown Park or it's been at Martin Lucky. And the management's either been at Vivian Street or down in, in Fawndon. Now we're all together in one place. So, uh, like, um, the floor that we have at NZCIS, we've got football ops in one area, management, like, literally next door. And then um, ALEW is, like, again, just around the corner. We're all on the same floor, which means our ability to, to pop next door and talk to somebody and find out what's happening with this player or that player or arrange for this player to do a social media post or do a piece of content for, for YouTube or Instagram, so much easier. And all our all our uh, marketing guys now are on site, and if they want to go get something at the end of training, just literally a walk two minutes down the, down the steps in their right of training. So it should mean that we do a lot more stuff in that space as well, but it should just enable the connection between the two units much stronger than it has been in the past. With the teams now, you've got a good idea of um, uh, how settled they are regarding squads and everything? Yeah, yeah. So we're well, as you guys probably know, we're well advanced on the A-League men and in the A-League women compared to last year. Now, A-League men is essentially done. That's all, you know, besides maybe a scholarship player here or a youth player there, we're pretty much done. And we've been, what are we now, 20, you know, we're late September. We would never be this far advanced. And so Ufi's had a very settled team with Oscar Zoada being the last one that's just come on board. Um, we've had a very settled team. And that's why I think we've had such a good run in, in the Australia Cup that we previously haven't. So that should, notoriously Wellington Phoenix has been slow starters in, in, into the start of the season. Now, hopefully with a settled squad and a squad being in place, a good run in the Australia Cup, 
off to Sydney this weekend to play Sydney over there for one more last preseason game. In terms of the games, it's been the strongest preseason we've ever had. Couple that with all the signings done well in advance of the season. You know, we're not even started the season. You know, four, three, four, five weeks out, we we're pretty much settled. Um, you look at the women, we've done a lot of the preseason stuff. We've done pre contracting with the women well in place. They come into camp in the next two weeks uh, with 80% of that squad done, and we're still looking to just finalise a few things there. Well advanced compared to previous seasons. So I feel like we've been in a really, really good space with both the men and the women compared to previous years. Losing the head coach of the women's team, Gemma, does uh, that set you back at all? Look, it's not ideal. Um, so Gemma came to me uh, before she went to Costa Rica and said, look, there's a, you know opportunity here. Um, I said, look, the reality is as coaches are like players, you know, we're always looking to see if coaches can move on. You know, these are coaches that come through the New Zealand system I'm talking about now. If they can go on to bigger things and better things, then we're always going to be supportive of that. We didn't want to hold her back, that's for sure. We wanted to keep her. That was, you know, and I, I had a com- number of com- a few conversations with her and said, look, if we did this, would you stay? If we did that, would you stay? And the reality is she's gone back to Wales. They will put her through a pro licence at no cost to herself, and she still coaches at a level uh, of age group representation. So she's teaching, she's going to coach the under-20s Welsh team, which is a great opportunity for her. Pro license is extremely hard to get your coaches on in this part of the world. We've been trying to get uh, Paul Temple onto pro license in the AFC for, for years, and it's so hard to get them on, and it's really costly. So she'll come out of that with a with a pro license. And we've said, look, go through it. You know, It'll take you two, two years, maybe a little bit longer, and then, you know, if she still wants to come back, let's have that conversation then. And she comes back with a pro license, a bit more experience under her belt. And depending on where we're at with our program, maybe she comes back and works with the Phoenix again, who knows, or, or New Zealand football. Do you get any financial compensation from the Welsh FA for releasing her early from her contract? No, zero. No, it doesn't work the same with coaches. Uh, well, it kind of does if she was going to another professional club, but not with a, a, a football association. That'd be nice, though. Yeah, no, no, twenty-five million for uh, Nagelsmann, you reckon? Yeah, yeah, that'd be quite good. <laughs> um, so, uh, as as far as the women's team go, uh, recruitment. Uh, how many more are you looking to bring in? Um, do you have people in mind? Yeah, so Nat's working very closely with her people on that. Um, there's a couple. She's we're very close. The the Australian ones is the ones that's slightly finicky. I think you know that we've had our number increase from eleven to thirteen in terms of the New Zealand players, which essentially is a decrease in the number of Australian players we have to sign. So that's pretty good. The the complication and all of that is we're not sure how that impacts on the scholarships side of the business. So last year we got a slight dispensation to sign more New Zealanders under scholarship programs, and that was essentially to help us with in the goalkeeper in the goalkeeper space. Um, and we, we haven't got that clarification from Football Australia yet as to what the increase from 11 to 13, does that mean that the scholarship numbers stay the same? We can still sign the same amount of New Zealand players on scholarship, or does that just mean that it's reverted back to the original rules? Um, so that's we're still seeking that clarification, which is a bit disappointing that we're this close to the start of the season. We still haven't got that. But there is, um, I mean, Nat's still got a few ideas about the Australian players that she wants to sign and uh, a few of the New Zealand players and we hope to have a, 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 an announcement on another on, on players in that space pretty soon to be honest Cool, how, how soon are we talking? The next week or so? Or? Yeah yeah. I'd say within the next few days Cool um, so with the the um, squads being a bit settled the um, 
uh, game times have also been settled. Uh, 3 p.m. kickoff. Um, who did you pay off? <laughs> we, we've been pushing that. I've been pushing that with first FFA and then uh, Gregor Orchid FFA and now over to APL for quite some time. To, to be fair, a lot of that has to go down to the um, the, the the ability of the broadcaster to see it and, and to accept it. So what the broadcasters, this is Paramount Plus in Australia, essentially, have said is like we want to see stadiums full of play, uh, full of fans and enjoying the football. It looks good. It looks good for broadcast. So um, both for us and for Perth, uh, Paramount Plus has said you were open to the idea of a one pm kickoff on a Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon and on the Eastern Seaboard, and then they just you know they can flow the games on from that. So that that's been really good. Um, it's finally, uh, you know, paid off all the all the whining about having us play on a seven o'clock on a Saturday night, or, or, or you know, we're still on a Sunday night. Um, so we're really, really, really pleased with that as an outcome. Um, and for both the men and the women, it should mean that it's much more friendly for families. We have a large contingent uh, of family um, uh, supporters in our in our fan base. About forty percent, up to forty percent, can be a family so, um, from that family segment on game day. So this should make that a lot easier. You mentioned the um, uh, FFA slash APL kind of changeover. How's that been going? It's been two years now. Things starting to feel settled in, beneficial? It certainly makes it better in that any dollar that we spend is going towards the growth of the league, which we own. So all the money that the owners tip into this thing, at least it means that they get something, you know, the return comes to them. It's not going to Football Australia. Um, it's, it still doesn't mean that we get everything that we want. Um, the finances haven't got any better yet. Uh, it's still hard to, to make the to balance the books, uh, which is a bit disappointing because we kind of hope that with APL coming on board, all the owners would be an increased distribution out of the centre. You know, the TV rights and the Silver Lake investment would start to flow through from the clubs, but APL are, are spending a lot of money on their infrastructure, which you know. I get it. It's important. It needs to be done because it is the future. And if you look at their Keep Up app, that's what they're spending a lot of money on, which is great for those 11 Australian clubs and less so for, for a New Zealand club. But there are still benefits for us in that space and you know that, that's important to them. But, you know, for, for the Wellington Phoenix, where we're still having to do things with, you know, uh, a limited staff and APL's employing staff members left, right and centre, it still riles with me and I still raise it every meeting that we have that they continue to add on staff and like Wellington Phoenix is still running on the smell of naughty, naughty rag because there are bills that have to be paid and we can't keep asking the owners to write checks. So I still have that that, that issue with the, the central body. But the thing that is much more important is we're in control of our own destiny now. And, um, you know, I was I was off on this FIFA thing during the last couple of weeks, and if you, there a lot of the there was quite a lot from the MLS, and the way that that league has grown with their ownership structure gives us a lot of confidence that it is the most positive way to to structure the league going forward. Where do you think the league will be in, in a couple of years? Is it uh, do you think there's going to be expansion on the cards? Like what what's the I guess the medium to long term plan from from APL? I think they want to expand. Um, I think they'll, they'll, they'll. I think they'll probably add one more. I don't. I don't. To be honest, I don't really know too much more than what they've said publicly. What Danny Townsend has said publicly. So we're at twelve now. They might go to thirteen, and I think they're looking at Canberra. I think maybe they think Canberra is the next one off the rank, and then another fourteenth one will come in at some stage. 
Um, they want to get to 16 and at some stage in the future, maybe 18, but that might be 10 years away to get to 18. Certainly they want to get to 14 sooner uh, rather than later. That might take two years, three years, four years, and then 16 at some stage in the future. And then who knows? But uh, and, and to be honest, I don't know outside Canberra. I know there is a lot of sympathy in, within Australia for a Cam, you know, Canberra team to align it with A-League W, which makes some sense. But apart from that, I actually don't know what's after that. Uh, so you mentioned that you, you were obviously running on a smell of an oily rag as far as uh, staff goes. Is that a limiting factor with regards to, say, fan engagement events or... Yeah, it, it certainly has been the last two years. So we've made the conscious effort. Like we, we, it just made no sense to have a community manager when you had no team to do community activations. Um, so the last two years we went really down to bare knuckles. We like literally, we were, there was just like at times there was like two or two of us in the office because a lot of the stuff we were outsourcing to Australia. So we had an Australian event manager, we had an Australian commercial manager, we had an Australian based. Uh, this, that, and the other thing, and we were just trying to get by. You know, ticketing was all being run out of Australia, whether it be Wollongong or it was Leichhardt or wherever it was we had to play, and it was all it was all you know suboptimal, no doubt about that. But there was no point having you know community or, or marketing in New Zealand because there was just nothing we could do. But now we've we've replaced those people. We've had we've got marketing back in place. We've got um, a community manager back in place. Just literally just started this week. Um, and we want to start doing, you know, a couple of years ago when we had every week we had the clubs, we had the players out in clubs and schools and, and that sort of stuff. Now, there's a bit of an upskilling that needs to take place with staff because they haven't done it before. And we need to get those processes in place. We need to get the, the forms up on the website so that people can write in and request players. And and um, the new Keep Up website's not quite as, as friendly. Well, it's not been quite as friendly as we hoped it would be and being able to do all that. But we've got... We're starting to rebuild all this te- all this um, capability in house, and that's certainly the plan is to have all that community stuff and the fan engagement stuff. Um, I think we've done well in the social media space, but it's been hard in other spaces. So, I guess in, in previous pre seasons, you've had sort of a, a host of events. You know, the Company Coast game, Members Night, yeah. Kit launch, and Family Day. Is is that it? Just been a a flow on from previous years that. We just have, you know, haven't had the staff to implement it this year, and, and maybe next year it'll, it'll be. Yeah, well, the the Cap- the Company Coast game was uh, we we'd like that to be an annual event, but because of the Australia Cup run, it just constantined everything up, and there just wasn't the, the time to be able to play that game anymore. Um, and and I think rightly, Ufi wanted a the last game before the A-League season, he wanted an A-League opposition rather than a, a local team. So we've played games against Miramar and uh, Napier City in the last two weeks, which were useful outings for us, but they weren't really a challenge for the players. You know, there was, you know, 8-0, 9-0 and this sort of thing. And I think the NCR was 6-2 or 7-2 or something like that. So why the players got 90 minutes in their, leg, in their legs, it wasn't like they were being challenged. The, the, the decision was made, we need to go back to Australia. <laughs> With Australia Cup, you never know when you're going to go out. So each each time we played the Australia Cup, we had like two or three contingencies. What happens if we win? What happens if we lose? And when we come back, what does that look like? So it was all a bit of a juggling exercise. Um, but now, uh, this last weekend, we wanted to go to Sydney, play a decent A-League team for our last set out before we play on Adelaide in that first game. Um, and then... Uh, that kind of had a flow-on effect with uh, all the community appearances because we were away so much for that pre-season because we just stayed in the Australia Cup as we just continued to roll on. Um, but eventually, yeah, we, we had a session today actually on 
what we're going to do for the last week and a half and you know all those things that we used to do like the uh the thing at waitangi park and uh we, we did have the strip launch on friday night at, at the at the st james um and but we you know we used to do that fan session I mean, we did it downstairs at cohen's a few times and all of those sorts of things have become you know, just a little bit more difficult because of the time that we've had to spend in australia for for a decent pre-season so um and again once we have another you know with the staff members have just come on literally in the last three or four weeks uh, a lot of it's just been a, a learning uh, exercise for them so exam- uh, hopefully going forward we'll get much more into a rhythm with this sort of stuff um with all the um backroom staff having uh, being brought in and upskilled does it worry you uh, going into a new um home season where you're going to be running home games yeah it does well <laughs> i said to the other guys you know this season, it feels like we're, we're building the club from scratch again and i think i've mentioned it a few times you know apart from a few really hardcore members the memberships essentially evaporated so we had we've had to rebuild the entire membership base you know up to you know when we did the save the knicks and the last a couple of years around then we had up to five thousand members at one stage you know now we haven't we've got a fraction of that now you know we've just lost all of those years gradually building people up into this membership mentality that over COVID they evaporated you know we were under a thousand members you know and it was just the hardcore who really were going i'm just going to support the club because you know without it could potentially be the last thing that the last season if we don't manage to keep them going um and it's the same with the match day stuff it's, it's like we have to rebuild you know, we've got a new event manager who's just come on. She's having to relearn everything, and um, she's she comes from a different environment. So it's like, how do we do things again? Now she's very capable. So I don't think I think the event day experience will be stuff. And I'm really actually positive that with our corporate partners, we've got like Spark and Opera and, and Skoda and Casey, there'll be some really interesting match day activations, um, better than we've done in the previous years. But a lot of it is a lot of these, you know the staff are having to rebuild everything from scratch, relearn things from scratch. But I think it'll be good. Speaking of membership, the uh, I guess the season tickets uh, have seen a, a fairly hefty spike in price, um, and it looks like the match day tickets have gone up a little bit too since last time. Thanks, home. Can you kind of I guess talk through the the reasons for that? So we we got to the stage. I mean, we I did a, a complete analysis of everybody of where we sat with everybody, and we were, to be honest, way underneath all our competitors. Now, it, it, within if we compared us to every single club in the A League. We were the lowest, if not the lowest, in the very, very amongst the lowest two in the league in almost all our categories where we can, where there is a comparable season membership. Um, and even comparing ourselves with the Hurricanes, who have a much shorter season, they don't play as many home games, um, then we were way below uh, what our, our, our competitors were charging. So we, we just had to do an adjustment. And I think, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's not the greatest year to do an adjustment because you wouldn't want to do it when everything else is going up and inflation's bad and people are feeling the pinch left, right and centre. But it, we got to the stage where if we're going to be financially sustainable, we have to at some stage start charging probably what the product is worth. And I think we got to, the, when, I, when I looked at the comparisons, I still, we're still really low compared to other, other A-League um, clubs in terms of what we're charging. And that's just when you compare New Zealand dollars to Australian dollars, you know, uh, not allowing for the exchange rate, so it's still a very affordable product, um, and it's and it's just that case where we're going to go. We, we just have to try and start closing this gap because, like Gareth Morgan used to say, the, you just get donor fatigue, and the owners are going to go at some stage. That the world's going to run dry, and we're going to have to start going. That there has to be an adjustment, and 
it's very hard to know unless you benchmark yourself to other you know, other people in the market. It's it's like what is the product worth? Like who really knows what you should be charging for your product? Because it's not as if I can go here are all the inputs for my product. Here is what uh, I need to divide this by the number of products I got to make a, a profit margin of ten percent or fifteen percent or something like that. It just doesn't work like that. So the only way you can do it is really is to benchmark yourself against the market. And when we went through that exercise, we were, we were way low compared to the other clubs. So it's really just aligned ourselves to to the other uh, uh, to some of our colleagues and some of our competitors, and still be affordable. Now there are certainly we are going to do some initiatives to make it as as um, affordable as possible and we're working on those now um we've done some of these in the past like kids go free and and memberships for kids and all that sort of stuff or football clubs and all that sort of stuff so we're still going to work on some of those things to not to try and make it affordable for other parts of the community including our our football for all program which we'll do again where we we essentially give away a thousand memberships to um recent refugees and, and low socioeconomic communities for the people that really can't afford it um, because we don't want to exclude those those parts of the communities because we think it's very important that we see, we're a part of those communities as well. But it was really just a realignment and, and, and to where the market was going and where we sat within that market. Speaking of the finances, how's the, how's the financial health of the club at the moment? How, how deep are Rob and Henry's pockets? I think they're, they're good. They, they're, you know... The, I'm lucky is that Rob looks, Rob's got a very, you know, he has a long-term view because if you have a short-term view, I think we would have been gone a long time ago, but he has a long-term view and he, he looks at what's happening with other, you know, um, values of clubs around the world. And he, even within the A-League, um, the value of the club licences has, has certainly gone up Well, the last time they were sold anyway. Um, but there is no doubt that there is a stage where even those guys are going to go, uh, and I think they get disappointed. There's no doubt about it. They get disappointed by the lack of support from within some sectors of the of our community. I'm not, I'm not talking about fans now because the fans have been fantastic. You know, like I say, the fact that you know there were there were hundreds of people that bought memberships for the last couple of years when they knew there was no product. I mean that that gave us a lot of comfort that the, the club was wanted and that people wanted it to continue. We went through a little bit of a period where sponsorship was very hard to find in Australia and New Zealand. But we've come out the other end. We've got Spark and Oppo. We've got NGCIS is part of all that, you know, you know, Gaisley and Skoda and, and the and the partners that came on the women's side right at the end, like Comrade and Shot. They were, you know, that gave us a lot of confidence that there that was a still an appetite for football in New Zealand that people did want to support it, that corporates did want to support it. Um, but there are other people within the football community that do make it difficult for us, and I think they get irritated by that, and as we all do, because. They've put more into football in this country than any other single individual individual person, without a shadow of a doubt. Millions, and it's millions that they've put into this thing. You know, big, it makes eye-watering numbers. Um, but I think they're in a good place. Um, Rob's worked really hard in the background, we, you know, and, and to try and to shore up, shore up the club financially using his own ways of, of, of doing his business. And um, so we're, we're okay at the moment, but... Essentially, I've got another 12 months now to try and really get us to a sound place. You know, NZCIS, it's a fantastic environment and it's a fantastic asset for us to train at, but it's not cheap. But the decision was we either go to somewhere like NZCIS and continue to build out this club and to turn it into something bigger and better than it is now, or we just die a slow death by trying to forge out an existence at Martin Lucky Park or Newtown Park or whatever it is, where 
I mean, I think I told the story. We've had we had an Australian player who literally got off the plane, turned up at Newtown too, got straight back on the plane, and went home again when he saw our training facility, which we used to have. Now, Mark Lucky is a good venue, but it's now with, within the context of other Australian A League clubs and what they're building. If you look at the Mariners, what they, no, not the Mariners. If you look at the Wanderers, what they've got, and you look at um, Sydney FC, what they've got, and, and MacArthur and, and Weston, what they're building, you have to you have to keep pace with those things because you won't sign players. If you're in competition with those clubs, if they go look at the look at the facility I'm going to go to, so we we have to go to NZTLS, but it's not cheap, but it's all very expensive. And at the moment, that entire financial burden is still falling on Wellington Phoenix FC owners. Are you able to give any insight into how close uh, the club is running to the salary cap, either at or above? Uh, I guess on both sides of the above for the men and the women's. Uh, uh, right at it. Oh, what I'll tell you is this: is we spent more money on players this year than we've ever spent. And we are at salary cap and we come under by using the exemptions that you have to use to get under the salary cap. So that's the men and the women are, will be similar, will be similar. So we're not, you know, we're not skimping on, and I think I've always said this, is if we're going to cut a corner, we're not going to cut the corner on players because that's the success on the field. You cut the corner somewhere else, whereas, you know, you, you don't do X, Y, or Z, or, or you don't you don't spend a you don't spend a dollar on radio advertising because if you win a game, then people will come and watch you at, at the stadium because you're winning a game rather than they heard you were on the radio ad. And so, unfortunately, if you look at you know discretionary spend, if there is any, then it tends to be in marketing or commercial or or, or the event. You know, you know if you go to you know we could be doing a whole lot more in terms of pyrotechnics and match the activation if we if we you know if we if we had a few more million dollars in the, in, in the um, event activations budget, but we just don't. So we go, well, we'd rather spend that money in, on a player and bring a player through than try and get, um, uh, and try and, you know, get a person in by using them, by uh, buying a radio ad or something like that. But no, no, we're right at the edge. I mean, consistently, we, the A-League never, or APL never gives you what other clubs spend on their entirety on their players' budget, but they do give you what you spend on players' Uh, not including the exclusions. And we are generally right. In we generally finish above on the table where we spend comparatively on players. So if we're sixth, seventh highest spender on players, we finish fourth, fifth, sixth on the table, which is always, for me, it's a key, it's a key KPI that we're performing above, you know, punching above our weight. Will that affect, say, your January window. You obviously said that the um, team is pretty fixed for now, but uh, next, next, you know, when January rolls around, there's the opportunity. Will that kind of um, mitigate any spending, or will that just will it just be on a case by case basis? Oh, I think very much case by case. So what what happens is if you have injuries, um, potentially you could use the insurance money to replace that player. The, nobody wants injuries. No, it's injuries are not good for anybody. But if we have an injury and you know it's a long term, then you can potentially use that money to replace them. Um, but again, that'll come down to where we are in the season, how we're performing, and you know if we can do a sales a sale job on Henry and Robbins. Says if we bring in this player, we're going to win the A League. You know, then maybe you get some more money to sign another player. But we, it's been really clear, and we do this every year. Is here is the money that Football Ops has got to spend on players, mm-hmm. and you make it work and. This is where you go, and if you look at the players, you know, and most clubs are the same. Look at where your import players are. They tend to be in your spine. You tend to be in your number nine, your number tens, and your midfield players, whether it's your eights or your sixes. And that's because those are the ones that are 
where, where are you going to win games? You're going to win games by scoring goals, and that's where you, people spend your money. So we go, if we're going to spend our money on those players, then we'll try and save some money in other areas. And we're very, very lucky in that we're bringing through young players who are just as good as other players in their positions. And I'm, you know, you're talking about players like, you know, Sam Sutton and McCallan Elliotts and, and, and um, those sorts of players who aren't who aren't marquee players or aren't costing you a lot of money. Um, but it allows you to take some of the money that could otherwise be spent in that area and you go, well, we'll channel it into the other players. And But those players are still, you know, they're still um, rewarded pretty well for, for the roles that they do. Uh, speaking of young players, have you uh, slapped a cheeky message to uh, Sarpreet in the, in the last day or two? When was the last time I talked to him? I did, I texted him for something. I can't remember what it was. It might have been when, not since he's uh, had this cock up with his registration. That, that's happened to us before, I think, if you remember. Yeah, I'm playing, I'm playing not being registered on time. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm absolutely gutted for him because, you know, I mean, he had the ability, he had the chance to move to Bremen and that, you know, because of his injury didn't come off. And then, yeah, for whatever reason, and I've read some of the comments from his CEO, obviously someone's copped it up. Someone's made a mistake, um, but it affects him. And, you know, as a player, that's like the worst thing that can happen to you because you just want to play. And he was doing so well, and you know, could have been another a breakout season. I mean, he still gets second half of the season. I, I assume I don't know exactly. I assume their window opens one Jan. Yeah, um, it does. And then he'll and then he'll be registered and can play from the from New Year's. But yeah, I mean, he loses what three months, which is hugely disappointing. And all he can do is train. And I don't know if they've got a reserve side; they'll they can play him. And I'm I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, so so disappointing for him because he's, he's quality. He's quality, and you know, we obviously missed him in the All Whites the last couple of months. So no chance of a cheeky loan deal? I don't think you can because I think he's on loan to that club, right? So I don't think you can do a loan on a loan. Yeah, sure he is. Yep. It's outside the window yeah. now too, I think. So I don't think he's going to be well, He's not registered. He's not registered. Yeah, uh, he's yeah, not registered. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't I, – yeah, no, we haven't We haven't explored that as an option. No. And, and again, we're, we're full now anyway. We've got we've got a number of 10s already locked in place. Well, if you do it, I want my card mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I'll give you an agent for you. <laughs> I've got a, uh, I've got a couple of uh, expansion questions if I, if I can. On, on the women's side, do you think the introduction of the Central Coast side next year will probably lead to the, the sort of Australian quota being dropped? Well, that's our hope. There's two positive things. One is the more Australian teams come in, the more ridiculous it is to have an Australian quota because our argument, even when it was imposed this time, is do you really want to put that in there because we're just going to be taking Australian players from other clubs. And you're going to, you're actually going to, one of the major arguments I made, this was to APL when I put forward the strategic paper to include us, was that it would strengthen the ALEW because we're, we essentially open up the market and include a whole lot of New Zealand players, a whole team which would be competitive without diluting the existing player base in Australia. And um, with more Australian teams coming in, it's going to dilute it even further if we still have to have that. Um, that quota. The other positive thing is that Ernie Merrick is now essentially their technical director over in Australia. And that should help us because, you know, Ernie's obviously, you know, favourable to Wellington Phoenix. He understands what we're all about. But he's just a really good football guy and he's not a political guy. <laughs> I texted him when he got the job. I said, I, I for one, um, uh, welcome our football overlords and the, and, the, and the bright new future that, that, that is coming over the horizon. Uh, and he texted me. He said, yeah, and, and I said, the funny thing is, I, I could never actually see Ernie wearing a like take, wearing a suit and taking a briefcase into the office. It just doesn't seem right that he would actually do that. 
but apparently he's uh, he's enjoying it. So he was actually he was here this week. I had a quick chat to him in the office, but I, I have some sort of some confidence that you know with Ernie there that he will help balance that out, not just for the A League um, uh, women, but for the A League men as well. And you know, so um, yeah, I, I think that's right, and, and I think hopefully over time we'll see sense in that. I guess on the on the men's side, would you guys welcome um, an Auckland franchise? We've always stated that um, we, we see that the value of an Auckland franchise outweighs a, outweighs a negative for us. So there's no doubt it would make commercially a lot harder because if you look at all our major commercial partners, they're all based in Auckland. And if you have an Auckland franchise, they'll probably default to an Auckland franchise for a Wellington franchise. But it also sort of you trade that off with the higher profile football would have in New Zealand with an Auckland, with an Auckland franchise. And, you know, and God bless our owners in that we're a Wellington franchise. We've remained here because financially, you know, if you're an American owner, as we've seen in the EPL, they wouldn't give us stuff. They would have moved us to Auckland years ago. But our owners are Wellingtonians and they want the team to be based in Wellington. That was Lloyd Morris's vision. And Rob's carried on with that. You know, he's always wanted to be in a Wellington team. We are, that's why we've never been the New Zealand Phoenix because that's just not who we are. We're Wellington even though we play games in other centres, because sometimes we have to, and it's the right thing to do. Commercially, it makes sense, but uh, we are a Wellington team. But if you know, if you were looking at logically, you would have moved us up there years ago, except for two things. One, um, assuming assuming you could find the finance, that's the biggest thing for Auckland. There's never been anyone in Auckland to put up their hand up and say, we're going to finance this thing, because it is millions. You need millions now to set up a franchise. You're looking probably 15 million Australian to buy the licence or buy into APL, you need probably, I would say, two to three million loss in the first year, at least, and then probably a million a year for the first five years. And I'm, that's, you know, based on the Phoenix experience, at least. So you're looking at north of 20 million New Zealand to set up a, a, a franchise in, in Auckland or, or a club in Auckland um, just to get in. And then how much loss is ongoing for the, for the rest of the time. And then the subsequent to that is where they're going to play. There is no venue in Auckland at the moment. Mount Smart doesn't work because the Warriors are there for half the season. And at South Auckland, it's kind of Warriors' homeland. Eden Park is a great venue for us when we turn up once, twice a year because we can get 20,000 and it makes sense. Do you really want to be playing at Eden Park? Again, the thing is, you know, do you want to play at Eden Park and if you're getting five to 10,000 a year? It's a cavernous space. Um, you know, well, at Sky's not too bad with 34,000, but a 55,000 seat stadium when you're getting 5,000 to 10,000, that's tough. Albany's turns into a baseball diamond. You know, in the summer, there's just no venue up there. Otherwise, you're looking at very regional um, stadium. You know, do you go to Trust Arena out west and try and turn that into a thing? But then, if we've learned anything, you kind of need to have a central city stadium to make these things work. We struggled at Albany for years taking games there under the old CEO at Eden Park. We just, you know, we couldn't get a business model to make sense. But when the new, when Nick Saltner turned up and we could do a business model that made sense. You know what the difference between getting six, seven thousand at Albany and coming down to Eden Park and getting twenty, twenty-four thousand. I mean, it's huge. So you need to be playing in Central City, but I mean, I don't know. Does it work? So there's, there, for us as a club, there are definitely pros and cons with an Auckland franchise. But whether the, the flip side to me is who's going to do it? Like who's going to actually fund the thing up there? Unless you're getting a foreign investor, unless you're getting a you know, an an American investor to come through, a European investor to come through. And my the only thing with that I would warn about is you're looking at a Glazer model. You know, you're looking at a city model. It's quite a different model to what our owners are doing. Our owners are doing it 
essentially because they felt it was good for the city and it's good for the country and it's philanthropy on a ma- on a massive scale. If you bring in foreign money, it's not the same motivation. So it'll be quite a different club to what, what happened in Phoenix is. What about a New Zealand uh, overseas who has the money to fund said club? Yeah, and that is maybe that is an option. Maybe, but you know, that New Zealander who is overseas and wants to fund it, they're up for $20 million. And if their pockets are that deep, then all power to them. And Rob... Rob's warmer on it than I am, to be honest. In the day, it'll be Rob's. You know, Rob sits on APL and he's in he's in that room that makes those decisions. Rob has always said he he, he is strongly of the belief that having an Auckland franchise raise the profile of football in this country and it would be positive for the overall game, which would be a spin-off to us. We would have Auckland, whoever XXX, come down to Sky and we'd get thirty thousand there because it's a derby. You know the 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 the, mar- the profit that you make on a thirty thousand at Sky Stadium could fund the club for half a year. So, you know, there's different pros in it. Do you think that that kind of offsets the uh, not being able to take uh, the team up to Eden Park and get that twenty twenty four thousand and the potential lack of sponsors? I, I, that's what Rob believes. <laughs> I, I'm not quite of the same opinion. I it scares the shits out of me to be honest, but I wouldn't. I, you know, again, I think it's, you know, the Wellington Phoenix has always been about what's the right thing for us and for football in this country. For an Auckland franchise, it would be the right thing. No doubt it would be the right thing for football in this country. Would it make our job harder? Yes, it would. But it's the right thing for football and it would be great because you'd have double the amount of young players coming through. I mean, we have a 15-year head start. We have an academy that is humming now we have a community program on that we're really really proud of it takes a lot to set that all up um, the, the the biggest thing for us of course we just don't have the population base in wellington and you know for us to get ten thousand at the stadium we have to work really really hard for an auckland franchise to get ten thousand at, at eden park or or somewhere next to they found a stadium a stadium to play and for them to get that it's a it's a fraction it's not nearly as hard not nearly as much effort because they've got the population base so but you know Again, if it's, it would be the right thing for football in this country, no doubt about it. You mentioned the academy and some of the players that have come through. Um, I, I'm assuming you watched the All Whites game on the weekend. Uh, how did you feel seeing guys like Libby Kacce out and Ben Wayne out there, uh, knowing that they've come through the academy? If you look at the history of the club, you know that I've been involved with now, there are three things I'm really proud of: the academy setup, which is top notch. The, the, the medical support, the S&C support. I mean, I've got, you know, there. I, I go out and watch, there's a, we've got an under-14s boys team, which hopefully will be an under-14s women's team next year, under-14, under-15 boys team. And it, all of these boys teams, we have a physio. Now, there's no other academy, I doubt even in the A-League, which has a, a medical support person at every one of our games, right down to under-15 boys. And if there's an injury in the opposite team, our physio runs onto the field and assists with that injury regardless if it's a Filling Phoenix player or it's a Petoni player or it's an Upper Hutt player or North Wellington or whatever. So the academy is very well resourced and it costs a lot of money. The academy does not make money. It loses hundreds of thousands a year. But again, the owners have gone, it's the right thing to do. And the setup there that, that Paul Temple and Steve Coleman and, and all these guys and now Rory Fallon in there and the guy, what they've built is quite exceptional in terms of the support structure. We're adding in sports psych this year, so we're going to have two sports psychs living and breathing the academy. So we've got to wrap around the mental support around the, the players coming through as well because obviously it's a huge issue. Um, 
so that's that's really important. We've got the AUT program in there. It's it's a seamless program, and it's tuning out players and players, and it's tuning out SNC people that we're bringing through, and it's tuning out physios that we can move on to things. It's tuning out coaches who move on to other jobs. Really, really good. There's that. There's the community program where we we now got 200 kids who we pay all their fees and gear to play football at their local clubs or futsal. We now do coaching courses for those kids who want to do coaching courses. We do um, referee courses for these kids. Uh, we do bust the Knicks. We do a thousand kids come to the game. You know, it's I'm so proud of that program because I don't even, I don't think I haven't seen anything anywhere else in the A League that it becomes close to what that that program does for. It's just so well structured and set up. We do it through the clubs. We use local coordinators. It's hugely successful. And I think it makes a big difference. Um, so you look at the academy, the community program, really strong parts of, of, of the, the uh, of the club, and it just makes a lot of sense. Um, so when you look at these players that come through and play for the All Whites, hugely rewarding. You know, and they're you know, even like Joe Bell, who never came to us at the end, who came through the academy for three, four years in the academy. That goes off to Wake and does um, uh, plays in the collegiate school over there, and is captain of the US college team, and is now you know in Europe. You look at all these players, Logan Rogers, all these players that have come through our system and gone off and done their own things. Really, really successful. I mean, it's really is humming, um, and it's doing a great job for for football in this country. You know, I'm really, really proud of, of what we've managed to build there. You mentioned that it does make a loss, and putting aside the um the the kind of the pride factor have you quantified the net gain from having some of these players come through the academy and go into the Knicks uh senior team i'm i'm assuming that that would be of financial benefit in running that first team uh you could yes it is it's there's two ways to look at it there's there's the cost of the academy costs x um and, and we just go, that's an investment into the players coming through and an investment into the club. Now, some of that is realised when you sign Sam Sutton as a first-team contract because you're not going and signing uh, an Australian left-back out of, you know, and you're signing Ben Old and you're not signing him to sign a number number 10 into, you know, uh, international players. So you do realise some of those savings there, but you're still paying them a decent wage. The players get paid pretty well in the A-League. And to be fair, you know, the, the union's done a good job there but they're probably overpaid for the amount of money that actually gets generated by TV rights. That's why all the clubs lose money. Every single club loses money in the A-League, every single one. Um, and, you know, 60% of our costs is, is, is players, essentially players. Yeah, yeah almost over. Um, but what, what it does, we do realise money, and this is, you know, when I was on this FIFA course last week, and all the clubs are saying the same thing. You have to invest into your academies because your academies is your best opportunity to develop players with players which you can then on sale to, to bigger clubs around the world. And everybody was saying, whether you're MLS or you're a club in, in Africa or you're a club in Asia or even a smaller club in, in Europe, they're all saying the same thing. The other way, we could look at another model which is prior to Wellness coming in, which essentially was the Brentford model, right, where you just get rid of all your academy and you strip out over a million dollars worth of cost from your business, and you go, just cherry pick your players. I'm just going to go, I'll cherry pick from Miramar, I'll cherry pick from um, Auckland City, I'll cherry pick from, from Christchurch United, whatever. But the, the issue with that is, is that you don't develop the player along the best your best technical ability. So, you, you know, we've done a, 
one thing that Rob says to me um, constantly is, have we got the best coaches in the academy that we can get to develop the best players? So he said, we want the best coaches, the best physios. He wants everything to be optimised so we can best you know, develop the best possible player. And that's why you see in the under-19s, you know, eight of the starting 11 in a lot of those games in, in Tahiti were coming through the Phoenix because we wrap around the best thing that we can that we can, um, um, that we can possibly do because we want to bring them through the first team contracts. And if not that, then they go off and potentially go to European contracts. And there is a sale or a transfer sale um, that you can realise at that stage. But I'll tell you now, the transfer fees we have realised over the last you know, five, six years don't even come close to don't even come close to recouping the investment that's been made. So it's a long term. So I'm saying, Rob's the owners are in it for a long term game, the long term picture, um, which is very much focused on building out the best possible football structure that we can um, to do the right thing for football in this country. Because ultimately, that's what Lloyd set it up for. And I don't know. I will tell you now. I have no idea what the owners are worth. I do not know what their personal wealth. I've never asked. I'm not interested. It's not my business. I don't know how much money they got, but what they are going on is Lloyd's vision was he wanted this for the people of Wellington and the people of New Zealand. And his vision was always going to do, we need to do it, we need to do it right. And Rob, to his credit, has, has lived that from, from day one. I guess following on, following on from that, last week you re- released uh, the new kit and it seemed like you've taken, a, I guess, another additional step to embed sort of Wellington and, and Māori tradition within that. Can you, I, I can you kind of talk through, I guess, how that came about, what the sort of process is, and, and yeah, how you got to your final design, I suppose. I, I was very conscious of the disconnect from being away, and I, I just felt like, we, you know, being based in Australia the last two years, we just felt so disconnected to our roots, you know, and, and especially to Wellington. And I read, I don't know if you've, there's an um, Owen Eastwood book called Belonging. I don't know if you've seen it or read it. It's really good. Owen Eastwood's amazing. He's kind of like a Gilbert Anoka type character. And I read that over maybe a year ago. And it really stuck to me about how you could take principles of tikanga Māori and, and apply them. Uh, Owens is part Māori. And how you could apply that to business and to, and to sport. And it struck me then that that's the difference. We've lost our connection to our land, to our, to our you know, whatever you want to call it, our whakapapa, our tūranga waiwai, whatever you want to call it. There were principles of uh, tikanga Māori that were that in what it meant to be Wellingtonian or a New Zealander. I, I don't know what you guys think, but I, you know, this you, you see this happening all around New Zealand now, and I just think that the Phoenix, we're just reflecting what's happening in the country at the moment. I don't think it's anything new. Not, we're not doing anything specifically that's different. We, we, we started the process with the Takeo a couple of years ago, and we just, we, we, it's all, I feel like it's all very organic. We're just following this process. And it's just sort of, it's sort of to be unraveling before us. We're not forcing it. We started with the Rio Takeo and we got to that stage. And then we went to Australia and we couldn't really do it because you can't, you can't connect to your roots if you're not even in your own country. It's very hard. And then I met a, um, Richard Kerbell, who's just been appointed onto New Zealand Football Exco. He's an Exco board member. He used to live in Dunedin, but he moved up to Wellington. And um, I met with him because he was on New Zealand Exco and I wanted to connect with him and just see, you know, see what he was like. And we started talking and, and he's, he'd been doing a bit of this work with a number of businesses. Part of this is actually what he does. And, um, and he'd done the, he started the work with Capital Football and he showed me the stuff with Capital Football. I said, this is, this is it, Richard. This is what we're missing. This is our connection back to our land, to where we come from. Um, 
and he and he we started talking about it and then he introduced me to uh dan and charmaine love who are from you know loves a strong rugby you know family in, in wellington and they've done a lot of work in the space and in, in introducing concepts of tikanga maori and then they started working with tiatiawa who is a local iwi and go well how can we bring this all together and the the um the incorporation of the tohu into the strip design is really just an embodiment of everything that we've kind of already done, which is our connection to the city and connection to where we come from. But it's really just the start. So we're exploring with Richard, like, how far do we go with this? What is it, you know, when a player comes to the Wellington Phoenix, what does it mean to be part of the Wellington Phoenix? What's the process of welcoming a player to the Wellington Phoenix? And it's very much taking those concepts that are, that are embodied by Tikanga Māori and going, well, let's live and breathe that as, as Wellington Phoenix. So I think there's a lot that we can, that just resonates with us as New Zealanders that we, as a club, want to reflect back. So if this is our country, we should just reflect that back in everything that we do. And, you know, we're talking about, does it mean that we translate the the, the whole website into Taraka? We're having these discussions, how far do we go? And, and at the moment, it's with Richard, it's very much, it's just one foot in front of the other. You know, we're not, put it this way, we're not going to do a haka before a game. Because that's not who we are, you know. We did that one for uh, Boca Juniors when they came here, but it wasn't the Wellington Phoenix doing that. We used the local uh, iwi to do that for us on our behalf. And when we welcomed the teams back from New Zealand, we had um, uh, we had Tiatiawa welcome them back with you know um, with a, with a ceremony. That and that was just sort of teasing out what it actually means for us because none. Of, I'm not an expert in this space. And what I've learned from Richard, it's very much about you just start the process and see where it leads. And it's you don't try and force it. You don't try and be something you're not. You just try and reflect, I think. And I've got to be honest with you, what I'm just trying to do is reflect back what the fans want from us as a club. Like, do, And when I was talking to a few people, like, you know, we've talked to a few people, and Cam was, I hope I don't, doesn't mind me talking about it, but, no. you know, we started talking about what does this look like and reflecting about from what the fans were telling us that we thought, I think we're in the right space, but we're not experts in it either, and we'll just gradually unfold it. There's no big strategic plan in all this. This is what it's going to look like. But it's very much taking advice from um, um, our advisors, but starting internally out first. So, you know, Rich is going to take us through a process of, you know, having a club song, you know, about introducing ourselves in Tarao, you know, at the start of every meeting or when we do something formal. You know, we're going to just take it step by step and hope that it just feels right for us. If it feels right for us, we'll do it. And if it doesn't, we won't. Um, but I think if all the staff have warmly embraced it. The academy, to be fair, were a little bit further advanced than we were. They'd already started using principles of tikanga Māori and the values associated with the academy. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, we I, I feel like we're in the right space and we're going in the right direction. And again, we'll just see how it unfolds in the next, you know, two months, six months, 12 months. But you know, it feels right. I, you know, yes, will there be naysayers? Of course, there are. We've already been criticised for being somebody said, uh, "Go woke and go broke." You know what I mean? There are always going to be people like that. I'm not. I'm not worried about that because we kind of anticipated that. But I think again, for me, it was just I want to reflect, and the club has always been about that. It's like reflecting back what the fans want us to be. That's what we're trying to do, and I, I just felt like this was right for us at this time. Given that, again, given we've been away for so long in Australia and disconnected from what it meant to be a New Zealander. This kit does feel like you've got that right, to be fair. 
Yeah. I mean, there's been some comments in there. I mean, I think we'll do it better. I honestly thought the Torhu would come out a bit stronger in the design, and I think maybe in, you know the next strip maybe a bit stronger. We, we've got a charity strip. We're we'll do. Um, we're going to partner with Michael King's I Am Hope this year for Gumboot around Gumboot Friday. Is a scoop. Uh, so we're going to do something with him there. We've already designed the, the strip for that, and there is a Tohu in, in that strip as well. I think this really the strip for that particular game is really bold. <laughs> it's quite striking, and the Tohu is strong in that. Um, I, again, I hope that it's the you know that people like it, the fans will like it, and they'll buy it. And again, we'll you know, mental health is is really important to us. I think you saw the stuff from Grace Wisniewski last year. We've always been involved in mental health. I think it's a, one of the you know the, the most important. Um, things that the country's facing at the moment and it's applicable to everybody so we want to be part of that we want to be part of the solution and so we're, we've, we're working very closely with Mike King in that space and I think it'll be really cool if, if what we're going to do around that this year um, but again all I'm, we're trying to do is just go reflect back to the fans what, what what the fans want us to be as a club that's what we want to portray Let's hope it's not as bad as uh, Carlos Hernandez's one from what was about 10 years ago I was thinking the Hobbit one myself <laughs> See, some people love the Hobbit ones. Yeah, some people love the Hobbit ones. There you I've, go. I've still got that. Yeah, look at that. Tracer's got one up on her wall. I, I, I'll tell you this. It's not white. It is not a white strip. It's at the other end of the important spectrum. Uh, I need some new running shoes. When am I going to get my season member discount for the new yeah. balance shoes? When's that coming? So you've got your digital card. Yeah, you should have been sent your digital card on your phone so you can get into the first game. I've got to be on. I, I wanted the season membership packs out much earlier this year because it's Flickit and they're doing it and they've been really Flickit are amazing. They're really good to work with. The, the guys there are incredible. It's going to be such a core part of our business that I really wanted that to be out earlier. The the plan is the packs will be with you before the first game, so next week. <laughs> um, but it, all, everything except the scarf. So the scarf has been delayed because it just for you know, reasons outside our control, but everything else should be with you before the first game, including the membership, the discount for the new balance shoes, yeah. So, Domi, um, you've done your strip launch. We've got the final pre-season hit out of the, the uh, season. Uh, everything's kind of coming together. What's the thing you're most looking forward to seeing uh, this season? Unfortunately, due to a bit of a technical glitch, uh, we lost the last bit of that question uh, and Domi's answer. And, uh, but he went on to speak quite effusively about really looking forward to seeing that uh, the first uh, women's game at home uh, at Sky Stadium, uh, which was really gratifying, to be quite honest, because it just seems to be one of these overlooked things that uh, with the men's season so close, it's good to hear that the CEO is really, really keen to uh, see the women's team play. So that's the uh, end of the episode. Thanks, Domi, for joining us, as effusive and informative as ever. Thanks, everyone, for uh, asking all the questions, and we'll catch you all next week.